thank you choir and orchestra and Kimberly for encouraging us this morning with uh, uh, music and helping us to worship the Lord. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open up to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, chapter 43. We'll read our text here in just a bit. While you're finding your place there, too, let me remind you, you've heard already uh, the emphasis on connect and serve, and I want to also be a part of encouraging you to do that a number of folks have signed up that have never served before and we're so delighted about that but uh, you heard the instructions and that is if you're already serving and you haven't put a white ball in the display be sure you do that and then stop by the table you'll see the specific places and the specific needs that we have and you see uh, the instructions in your worship folder there so uh, help us with that in this uh, this special emphasis about connecting and serving for the work uh, of God. Uh, I told our deacons earlier this morning that I was late getting my uh, sermon outlines to our media team. It wasn't because I didn't have them. I already had them. I had two, and that was the, the struggle that I had was uh, I want to make sure I preach the right one first. And so uh, I told uh, our media team that I would be delayed in getting my outline to them because I wanted another day to pray and spend time with the Lord and make sure I get the order right. And so for the, uh, the message today and then the message next week, I'm going to wrap this series up. But uh, some stuff God put on my heart several months ago, and it seems uh, in so many ways it is so, so timely. But I do believe this. I believe the order is important in the message that I'm bringing to you uh, today and next week because if you get it, if you get what I'm going to talk about, uh, these two messages are, have the potential to change your life and to change your life forever. You know, at the beginning of every new year, and this series, All Things New in the New Year, I like to do that at the beginning of the year. I like to, I like to bring a series that encourages us to kind of spiritually be on the right path because we know at the new year everybody, you know, they make their resolutions, their new plans, and they set goals and everything. <laughs> Honestly, most of those rarely happen for for people, but we, we still like that, and certainly we need the kind of spiritual encouragement to, to go forward with the Lord, and that's what these uh, uh, beginning of the year kind of series, that's what my goal is in uh, all of these, and uh, you remember a couple of weeks ago, I, I preached a message on uh, your greatest need in the new year, I said it's more God, and, uh, and I still would echo that to you, that that is your greatest need in the new year. Uh, and I asked the question, but do you really want more God? Do you really want more God in the new year? And I, I think um, uh, most of us, I think most people would, would answer yes. They would answer affirmatively. At least in theory, I think we want more God. Would you agree with that? We, in theory. But I, I have to be honest, I'm not sure that in practice and living that we always do really want more God because we we think, well, what will that require of me? Or what will God expect of me if I, I sell out to him? Um, maybe you remember um, the, um, the children's story, Alice in Wonderland. I bet you do, don't you? One of the most famous, Lewis Carroll, and one of the most famous of all fairy tales. And you remember there's a scene in Alice in Wonderland where she comes to this crossroad. Do you remember that? And there's the Cheshire Cat who's there, and she doesn't know which path to take. Y'all remember that scene? And so she asks the Cheshire Cat. By the way, the Cheshire Cat is full of wonderful quotes. But the Cheshire Cat, she looks at him and says, which way should I go? And you remember what the cat says? Uh, he said, well, it depends on where you want to go. And Alice responds and says, well, I don't much care about where I go. To which the cat replies and says, then it doesn't much matter which road you take. And, uh, you know, it's true, I guess, if you look at it that way. But I want to tell you this morning, that the life we're living ain't no fairy tale. And the path you take makes all the difference in the world. When I was young, I read a poem by Robert Frost that said, two paths diverged into a wood. And I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. The path, the road, whatever you want to call it that you and I take uh, makes all the difference in the world. And the reality is 
this morning as we gather in this place that there's some who are watching or listening to us on radio or are watching by live stream television or in this live audience and the fact is you're miserable today and you're miserable because you know that there's some sin in your life and you acknowledge that there's sin but you refuse to deal with it or do anything about it there's some who are listening or watching are in this live audience and frankly you're living a double life you have a religious life or a Sunday life or a church life but then there's no distinction of God in your life the rest of the week there's no difference in fact there may be just the opposite a life of disobedience to God there are others that are listening to me today and some of them and perhaps it's you your marriage and your family is hanging by a thread and if something doesn't happen in your life it's a good chance that your marriage or your family won't hold together. There's some of you that are listening to me today and you've become bitter and cold. You've become angry uh, at God. It might be for any number of reasons. Maybe it's because uh, something happened in your life, something tragic or traumatic. It may be because uh, God didn't do something the way you thought he should do it. And you've decided to just kind of wash your hands and say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. And you've become angry, and the, the devil has multiplied that into bitterness in your heart. There's some of you today that are dominated by materialism. You're controlled by it. And you're trying to live in the world, the two worlds. And Jesus said that no man can serve two masters. He'll either love one or the other. There are some who have become controlled by fear. Boy, there's been a lot of that in our world in the last several years, hasn't there? And there's some of you who are watching, you're listening, you're here this morning, and you're, 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 you're controlled by your fears. And your fears have caused you to stop trusting God and stop walking the path that God has for you. There are some of you that have just lost your first love for God. You're just going through the motions. I know the motions, I know what to do, I'm just going through the motions, but you've really lost your first love for God. You know, you've lost that passion for Him that you, you had some time in your life, some time ago, and you're just kind of doing things because you say, I guess this is the right thing, or I need to keep up the perception or the image, but you're just kind of going through the motions. These are the motions. There's some of you that are living your life controlled by what other people think about you. And in some form or fashion, you live to please other people. You live to make somebody else happy. And, and the Bible says that, uh, that the fear of man is a, is a snare, it's a trap. And you've been trapped by that. I, I need to create a persona or I need to cause people to think of me in a certain way. And you become more concerned about what other people think of you than about what God says and thinks about you. There are some of you who are watching or you're here today and, and you're in bondage to something that has captured your heart and your mind and that is your inability to forgive somebody. Forgiveness is, the lack of forgiveness is costing you and destroying you spiritually. And Jesus told us that we are to forgive others that our own trespasses may be forgiven. R.T. Kendall said this, forgiveness is probably the greatest need in the church today to forgive. And uh, there are some, some folks perhaps that you need to forgive in your life. Maybe you haven't even thought deeply about it, but your heart has become so cold and hard because you haven't forgiven. It could be any uh, number of things that I haven't mentioned, but they are things that are keeping you from experiencing God. And I want to tell you this morning that nothing is going to change spiritually in your life until you deal with these things. The fact is, <clears throat> until you change the path you're on, you're not going to experience release or freedom, or you're not going to experience what God wants you to experience with Him. We're in need of renewal. We're in need of repentance. 
And I want to be honest with you this morning and tell you that my goal in these closing two messages in this series, my goal is not to give you a motivational speech. Uh, It's not to give you some inspirational thoughts so you walk out uh, uh, pumped. I hope you're inspired by the message of God's Word, but my goal isn't to motivate you. If you need motivation, there's plenty of that out there. My goal in these two messages is, is to bring you a transformational message. A message that will transform your life. And I pray will lead you on a new path. I pray it will be the God path that all of us need to be on. If you're physically able to do so, would you stand with me this morning as we read our text from the book of uh, Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 16. Follow along with me. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing, Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I give drink to my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Father, thank you that you're always taking us someplace new. Father, help us to identify the path we're on and identify the path we need to be on. Father, I I pray that you will speak into our hearts the direction that you want to take us. And Father, help us to follow and see the new thing that you are doing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the passage we just read has some background. It's about Egypt. Uh, it's about Israel and their captivity uh, and their bondage. They had been in captivity and bondage because they had taken the wrong path. They'd taken a wrong road. They had not followed the instructions of God. And eventually, any person, any people, any nation, any culture that does not follow the path of God will follow a path of its own ruin. I think it's safe to say we see our own nation headed down that pathway. But the reason that a nation goes that way is because people go that way. A nation is only as good as the people in the nation. A church is only as good as the people that make up the church, the body. And so whatever happens in our life affects a bigger picture. Israel had rebelled against God. They had refused to follow the instruction of God. And God had warned them time and time and time and time and time and time again. He's a gracious God. And He does that in our life too. Uh, He warns us and He instructs us and He directs us and He lovingly uh, disciplines us. All of these things to keep us or to move us to the path that is the path honestly of blessing it is the pathway of his favor and yet there's something in us that resists the direction of God it is that old flesh it is that war uh, that has been going on for the ages the prince and power of this world and and his attempt to sidetrack us and his attempt to undermine what God wants to do and so Israel is in captivity because the enemy of their soul had had more sway over them than the lover of their soul. And it's still true today, isn't it? And so this passage has a bit of es- uh, eschatological uh, uh, kind of thing because it's about their future and uh, by extension their principles for us about our future as well. And the prophet, if you notice, begins this particular segment of the, uh, of the passage by recounting God's miraculous intervention uh, in Egypt. That's what that's about, the verses that lead into verses 18 and 19. 18 and 19 is where we're going to focus. 
But the prophet begins by recounting the story of how God had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptian and how the Egyptians had followed and how the seas had collapsed uh, upon them. And he's telling, because this particular idea was so significant in the lives of God's people, they always pointed back to how God had brought them through the Red Sea. They all, this, was, this was the story that they told their children. Oh, listen, you know, there uh, 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 centuries ago, God brought us through with a mighty hand through uh, the Red Sea, and then he destroyed our enemies, and they always pointed back to this. That wasn't a bad thing, but they, uh, and the prophet uses it to remind them that they can and they should always trust God and the ways of God. And it's always for us to do that. It's always appropriate for us to, to look back and see what God has done and uh, the road that God has taken us on or the path that he has delivered us from. It's always good to look back and say, for that reason, I trust him right now. And this passage, it points us toward renewal. It is a reminder that there is something more. Don't just live there in the path, remember it, but there is a supernatural highway in front of you. So this morning, I want to show you three things that I believe God said to them to help them walk a new path that will help you and help me walk a new path in this new year. The first thing that I want you to notice is found in verse 18 when he says, remember not the former things. And the first thing I would tell you is if you're going to walk a new path in the new year, there is a past to vacate. There's a past to vacate. Now notice he talks about their past, but this wasn't a bad thing. The, the, the past he's talking about, he's not saying that was a bad thing. He's saying remember that, but don't live there. Because he goes on to say, what? Con, uh, uh, remember not the former things, uh, nor consider the things. He's referring to that that they so attach themselves to. You, 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 you remember constantly this, this deliverance, but he says, remember not the former thing. There's a time that we go forward. There are good things in the past that you need to leave. Did you know that? There are some good things that you, in your past that you need to let go of and go forward. There are some bad things in, in your past that that need to be left behind. We all know that. We need to leave those things behind. But this was a good thing, and yet the prophet is saying, I know you've attached yourself to that, but that is not where you need to live. You need to go forward. Remember not the former things. It's not a condemnation of the past, but your past, for good or bad, is not the place for you to live for God. The prophet exhorts God's people not to dwell on God's former miraculous deeds. Not because they're bad, but because God is still alive. And because God is still alive, He can be trusted to direct the future of His people and to do new things, new marvelous and miraculous things. And so we have to vacate the past. We have to leave it behind and there are a couple of reasons we ought to do that. Number one, because the past can paralyze you. The past can keep you in the land of nostalgia. You know where that land is, don't you? Oh, I remember when. That's the land of nostalgia. And if we're not careful, that's what our past can do. I remember when. And by the way, it happens in your relationship with God. Oh, I remember, it just seemed like God was so close. Or, or I remember when the church, I've heard it there and you have, ter oh, I remember in the days when the church did this and when the church did that. And there's nothing wrong with having affinity to those things, but you can't live there. And if you live there, it's death. If you live there, it's destruction. The past can paralyze you. And the problem with the past is it will keep you from going forward with God. And that's what he's trying to tell them. You can't live back there on the basis of the miracles that God has done in the past. God has more miracles to do in the present and in the future. And so he wants us to look ahead. The past can paralyze you. But the past can also, this is the second thing that I would note under that first point, is the past can paralyze you but can also traumatize you. 
It can trap us with our past failures. The past can terrify us because we're afraid we might repeat something. You see, one, one is paralysis because it was so good. It was just so good, or at least my mind tells me it was so good. The other is because it was so bad. I was traumatized in the past. I did something. I stepped out. I did this or this, and it was horrible. What happened was terrible. I'm not doing that again. I'm not going forward. And we don't even recognize it. Sometimes God says, you've got to let go of that stuff. I'm the God of today. I'm the God of tomorrow, not the God of your yesterday. I brought you here today. Let's leave it alone, and let's go forward. The God, our past can traumatize us. And by the way, the past can't be redone, it can't be undone, it can only be remembered. So we remember it and then we say, let's go forward. That is a, if you want a motivational speech, that's a motivational speech. Remember, let's go. And by the way, if anybody had a past that could paralyze or traumatize them, it was the Apostle Paul. Remember, he spent most of his early life trying to wipe the church out he was probably responsible for the death of Stephen, a saintly uh, early leader of God's people. Paul was probably responsible for that. He, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees by his own confession. And he spent most of his early life trying to wipe the church out. Paul could have used his past to say, I can't go on. But in Philippians, he says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead. You know what he said? I vacated the past. I break it and I strain forward. I go forward. And he could have said, No, God can't use me because of what I did. I killed saints. I destroyed Christians. And by the way, you can be certain that Stephen wasn't the only saint that Paul was responsible for the martyrdom of. And yet, Paul didn't say, oh, I can't go forward. I can't go on. I can't believe. I'm saved, but I can't, do, I can't go any further because of what I've done. No, Paul says, listen, I forget the past. And by the way, I've told you this before through the years, but when he makes that statement, I forget the past, the idea in the Greek is not that he scrubs it out of his brain, that it's not there, but he is living in forward motion so much that he's leaving it behind. I can't undo that. I can't redo that. But what I can do is something new. I can follow God now. I can make a difference for God now. He had reason to say, look, my past paralyzes me. My past traumatizes me. But what he was smart enough to do is the same thing God tells them to do and the same thing he, his word counsels us to do, and that is to vacate the past. But then there's a second thing that he speaks of, the prophet does here to Israel, and that is not only a past to vacate, but there's a promising vision. Did you notice that? Look at verse 19. He says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. This is a promising vision, isn't it? The new thing described here is something that springs up suddenly, just like in the desert. Do you know there are occasions in the desert when they'll have um, a torrential downpour? And do you know there are seeds? You can go look this up if you don't believe your pastor. I know you do. Don't you? <laughs> Had to pull that out of you. But you can go look this up. There are seeds buried deep in desert sands. And if they get the right rain at the right time, they literally spring up overnight. Boom, they germinate overnight. And you look at a barren desert and you say, nothing's going to grow here. Go look at some of the pictures. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And they spring up suddenly, just like that. Boom, just like that, they come out of the ground. You would never know that they were there. But the right time and the right rain, and suddenly they spring up. That's the picture here. Just like desert plants that surprisingly sprout in a completely barren area after a rain. And the prophet says he's seeing a new thing. He's seeing that with eyes of faith. That he, he's seeing it it's in his, uh, through his eyes of faith. It's bursting forth in his vision. And he's amazed, actually, that his hearers do not seem to recognize the thing that God is up to. 
you know, when I finish the next week, this series, we're going back to God is up to something big. I have a few more messages in that series I want to share with you. God is up to something big. Listen, God is always working. God is up to something big. And that's why eyes of faith are so necessary for you and I to see that God is at work. And the prophet is right as if he is amazed that the the people don't get it. They don't see. Don't you perceive it? Don't you see that God is up? Here's what happens. We get our eyes on so much that's going wrong that we, we stop seeing what God is doing. We start noticing the little things that God is doing around us. And by the way, little things with God end up making big things for God. And we stop seeing those things because we look around us or we look at our life or we're on the wrong path because of some of the things I may have mentioned or others to start this message. We're on the wrong path. And so we're not seeing what God, the pathway of God. And that pathway is a pathway where God is at work. And we miss it. But he gives them this promising uh, vision. He says uh, uh, that he sees new things with the eyes of faith. I tell you a story. My first pastorate as a senior pastor, I'd been an executive pastor for many years, very large church uh, in Florida. And one day a, um, a church contacted me, um, and this church had, had died. It, one day, it, uh, it, there had been a day when it had been a, a bellwether church in, among Southern Baptist churches. Uh, it was known throughout the country, but it had died. It had about 75 people. They, they, they didn't even have a place to worship. And uh, I, was, uh, as I, I was the executive uh, pastor at a very large church, and uh, I, I was told one, that they had come to hear me preach. I had, had preached, and I didn't know that, but they'd come to hear me preach, and then uh, a few days later, they contacted me and said, would you come and talk with us about, uh, uh, we need a pastor. Would you come and talk to us about being a pastor? And, and I, look, I'm the hero of all my stories, so I know that, okay? And I don't, please don't take this story wrong. This is not a this kind of story. I don't mean that, but it's my story. It's the only story I have to tell, and so they, they came and they, or they contacted us and um, I said, well, let me, let me get back with you. And I told Allison, I said, the church wants to talk with us. And I said, I'm not about to do that. But I said, I don't want them to think I'm arrogant. And because I'm in a big church up here that I wouldn't come down and talk with them. Okay. And I said, so let's go meet with them. And then I said, here's what I said. I said, I'm going to scare them to death. I'm going to lay all my, it's something a pastor likes to do. Let me tell you, if you call me, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> and, um, and so I said, that way, they'll, I said, by the time we're finished with that meeting, they'll say, mm-mm, not him. And they had, they told me later, they had 600 resumes. So I just wanted the mix. I thought, well, this way I'll meet with them. We'll have done the kind of, you know, we won't have blown them off. And so we did. We went down and met with them. They didn't have a campus. They were meeting in the Seventh-day Adventist church. They rented it from the Seventh-day Adventist because the Seventh-day Adventists don't use it on Sunday. And so... They rented, that's where they were meeting. There's about 75 people. The church had, had, had died. So we went down. Their offices were in a high-rise building in downtown St. Petersburg. And so we went down there. We met with them all with us on the way down. We're, I tell us, I said, They'll be, it, 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 after tonight, it's, it's over. And we sat around this round table with them. And I did. I wasn't. I wasn't. I, don't think I, let me just, it wasn't any of that bravado or any of that kind of thing, but I just began to share, just honestly, if, if God were to call me here to be your pastor, I'd, this is things that I 
think would need to be done and this and this and this. And as I'm saying that, we're sitting at the table, their committee is sitting around going, yeah, oh yeah, that's what we're looking for. And I have to tell you something, I didn't go, uh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> I started getting excited. Alice and I left that night, we walked down, and we sat in our car before we pulled away, and I said, we got to pray about this. I said, God's fixing to do something. God's fixing to do something. And I said, we got to pray. And we began to pray about that. In fact, my prayers turned from praying about it to begging God. Beg, oh God, what an honor it would be if you would let me go pastor these people. Oh God, God, let me go pastor these people. Well, this process went on for six months. They, I, did I tell you they had 600 resumes? And they finally, they began to circle back, but they don't know. I'm praying, God, God, what an honor this would be. And they finally circled back to me and said, we want to talk with you about taking next steps if you're still interested. And what I wanted to say, am I interested? I said, we'd love to. Well, I went to my friend and mentor, and I said to him, I said, uh, this church is asking me to come be their pastor. And I believe I'm supposed to do it. He said, Ray, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. He says it has death written all over it. And I said, I know. But God has told me to do it. And he said, oh, well, that changes everything. If God has told you to do it, you got to go do it. And I said, yeah, that's what I think too. That, and I said, I think God is about to do something there, and I just want to be a part of it. And so I did, and God did. It had nothing to do with me. I felt like the blind squirrel that found an acorn. By the way, I told my mentor after several months of being there, I said, you need to come down and you need to, you, you need to preach here. Let's do an installation thing. And you can, you know, lay hands on me and all that sort of thing and, and preach to these people. I said, you just got to meet these people. They're a lot like you. I mean that. I said, you just got to meet them. I said, man, they're just going to, you're going you're to fall in love with them. And he said, nah. He said, you're still on your honeymoon. I said, no, I'm telling you. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. I said, in fact, it's scary. And we began to put to a staff together. And he came down. And after he preached, he said this. He said, wow. He said, you were right. I said, I told you. I said, God's up to something. And by the way, in the space of about three years, we went from 75 people to over 1,100. <clears throat> we, we, our space, we, for small groups, Chuck, it was, we were trying to figure it out. We put up walls and tore the same walls down, I bet five or six times, Rick, over a space of three years because we were having to reconfigure everything. We'd put this wall up and say, okay, that gives us now two rooms, and then we'd have to, we'd put another wall up, and then we'd have to come, oh, we've got to knock that wall back down because we've got to expand over here, and this went on and on because we were shuffling and trying to, to find a place and, uh, to, to, um, to put uh, everyone in that setting. Here's why I tell you that long story. People, sometimes what looks like death is the beginning of life. And do you know the verse? Did you know God gave me a verse? When God told me to go do that, he gave me a verse. Because I, I, I'll be honest, I thought, man, there's a, God's going to do something, but am I up to it? And God gave me a verse. Here's the verse he gave me out of John chapter 9, verse 12. 
unless, or verse 24, I believe it is, unless a seed fall to the ground and die, it cannot live. Unless a seed fall to the ground and die. This church, had, it had, it had died. And that's why it was ready to live. What looked like death was really new life. It was a new thing. God was getting ready to do a new thing. Do you see it? Do you see that God wants to do a new thing? Do you perceive it? I shared this past Wednesday night. I'm not going to share it with you again this morning, but I've shared it a couple of times over the years about the dream I had my first year here. Most of you or many of you have heard that. Again, I shared it Wednesday night and not going to recount it here. But that dream was about Ridgecrest, and it was about a move of God, and it was about uh, a move of God and the Holy Spirit. And, it, and the scripture that you see when you come in here, that scripture on the wall above the balcony right there or on the balcony as you come in, have, y'all, do, have you forgotten? Do you, do you kind of like, you know, it's like putting something on your refrigerator and after a while you forget it's there. I hope you don't forget that verse. That's a promise God gave me about us. The promise from Haggai 2.9, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The Lord gave me that. That's a promise I hold on to of what he's told me. It's about a move of God, about uh, 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 God's move among his people here. Maybe you've heard in recent days, have y'all heard about this revival that's going on among the students, Asbury? It's actually a renewed thing. Uh, The Lord touched down on that campus in the 1950s. He touched down again in the 1970s, I remember that. And then he's touched down again as recently as uh, about a week and a half ago on Wednesday, and these students are meeting. You've seen uh, some of that, and I won't take time to go into all of that, but but it's been characterized by the things that a move of God would be characterized by. Not ego and not people trying to grab platforms, but uh, it's been characterized by repentance. It began with repentance. Never forget that. It began with repentance. And by the way, did you know historically almost all of the great moves of God in this nation began with students? Almost all of them, with exception of maybe Jeremiah Lenfear, In New York, in his businessman prayer meeting, just about all of them have begun. We go up to Vermont, and there's a place not uh, far away from that, Williams College. And the college people, the students, don't even know it was the ground zero for one of the awakenings in this country, the Haystack Revival. And uh, But uh, what's happening, everything that I'm reading, and I've read a number of folks, including people I know that have been there personally and seen it, The presence of God is overwhelming. There's repentance, there's praise, there's salvation. And, uh, of course, there are critics. Anytime God moves, there's critics. And don't be surprised if down the road there are not excesses. Allison and I were part of a move of God in Texas, in a church I served in Texas, that spread through the community and lasted for several months every day. I won't go into that, so my time won't allow me to tell you all about that. But we watched it. We watched this very kind of thing that's happening there happen in our church. And it went on day after day after day after day. There were critics because the devil hates when God starts moving, and he'll try to distort. But I want to tell you, there were excesses in the end. But let me tell you something. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives were changed for good and for God forever. Sometimes we, we say, well, i got to get there to experience it, and I have no problem with that. But what I'd say to you this morning is the same Holy Spirit that's moving there is here. You don't have to travel off to have an experience with God. You just have to open up and surrender to have an experience with God. 
You just have to repent to have an experience with God. And it starts with repentance. It's the same Holy Spirit. We pray for revival here every Wednesday. If you come to our Wednesday prayer, we pray for revival every Wednesday. We pray for repentance. Actually, I changed it some years ago because I, I, I think the issue is not to pray for revival. It's really to pray for repentance because if you have repentance, you will have a revival. And that's why to walk the path of God, you've got to examine your heart and you've got to say, God, is there, are there things that I need to repent of? We, we pray for it. We, we want renewal and re- revival in our nation. We, we want re- renewal and revival in our churches. And, and we want it in our own lives, I believe, on some level, as long as it doesn't disrupt our life. But revival and repentance will always disrupt I believe God is doing a new thing. I don't know how this, I've been asked, do you think, Pastor, about what's going on? Because it is starting to spread among campuses. They tell me that, that there are groups of students now at Sanford University, not far from us, up the road, that now are beginning to meet and to seek God like this. And Lee College and other places where this is, you know, I pray that it moves throughout every campus Uh, in the culture and then I pray or even before the then I pray that it moves to every church listen if it moves to the students what an incredible thing that would be in this culture of a confused student identity but then how powerful it would be if it fell upon us now by the way you don't try to force it you don't try to create it the spirit moves where the spirit moves Jesus said he lists us where it lists and, and and that's a work of the spirit but you can put yourself personally in a position to experience God but let me be frank Before God can do a revival in the bigger places, he must do a revival in you and me. And for God to do a new thing, it must begin with you and with me. How does a new thing of God start in our lives? Well, let me just give you a couple of things. A new thing of God starts in your life with humble repentance. Sin that is confessed and forsaken. That's how you experience a new thing from God. Second Chronicles 7.14, a familiar passage. It almost, I'm afraid, at times has become so familiar we don't understand the magnitude of its message. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, humble themselves, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It's repentance. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. A new thing of God in our lives, in your life, in my life, begins with humble repentance before God. Confessing sin, forsaking sin. Not just acknowledging sin. You know, I said at the beginning, there are people who are living miserable lives and they will acknowledge that there's sin in their life, but they're not willing to do something about it. Confessing sin, acknowledging sin is the first step. The next step is to obey and to turn around. In fact, the whole idea of the word repentance means that you're headed in one direction and you do a complete about face and go the other way. That's how a new thing starts in our life. But second, a new thing starts with complete and total surrender. Not just repentance. Nothing withheld from God. God, I withhold nothing from you. John the Baptist said it well. He must increase and I must decrease. It includes a new work, this total kind of complete surrender. There's a popular praise song called Surrender. We all grew up with the hymn, I Surrender All. We sang it here recently. But this song says this, I'm giving you all my heart and all that is within. I lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm laying down my rights. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new life. 
I'm singing you this song. I'm waiting at the cross, and all the world's and all the world holds dear. I count it all as loss, for the sake of knowing you, the glory of your name, to know the lasting joy, even sharing in your pain. So. We must leave the past. We vacate the past. The past has to be vacated. And then we embrace the promise. God's doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. And, and we must walk then the, the new path to victory. And that's the third and final thing I want you to see this morning, a path to victory. Verse 19, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And here it is. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert you know what the prophet was telling Israel he was telling Israel that a new era had dawned and he instructed Israel to turn her back on the old ways and not to remember them any longer as a pattern for her current life God was telling them that in contrast to the the wasteland that had been predicted that they had experienced in the exile that had been their reality he was saying now you've been in the wasteland I'm going to create a new path and just like he had made a pathway through the waters of the Red Sea now he is telling them I'll make a new way through the desert and the water that had been a barrier to them at the Red Sea would now be a blessing. They were in the wilderness. They needed water. It would now be a ble- What had been a barrier would now become a blessing because God would be its source. And did you notice that God said to them through the prophet, I will make a way? Do you know often the reason we're on the wrong path or the reason we myth, miss the right path is because we try to create our own path. God didn't say to them, now make a path and I'll be with you. What God said is, I will create a way and you follow me. We get ourselves in trouble because we try to create, with good intention sometimes, a pathway for God. Okay, God, I think I know the way that you need to go, so I'm going to create it because I see how this path, I can form this path, but God says, I'm going to make a path where there isn't a path. I'm going to make a way where there isn't a way. That's why you've got to follow me because our problem is there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of destruction and death. Solomon writes in Proverbs, our way and God's way is incompatible. And the reason that so many Christians are struggling is that they're following their own way. They're trying to make it God's way. But God must always be the architect of our way. And we're just to get on it. And we're then to stay on it. And so I ask you this morning, what way, what path are you on? Are you on your path? Or is it the new path of God? Are you having trouble making spiritual progress? What roadblocks are hindering God's move in your life? What, what, what roadblocks are in the way? Is it uh, almost commitment? Is it I'm almost surrendered? Is it I haven't forsaken myself? Is it I'm afraid to, to lay my life down on the altar of God and say, God, I'm yours? Is it because I'm afraid He will mess up the agenda I've already created in my life? What's, what's keeping you off of the pathway of God? Each week... Um, on Thursday mornings, I have a meeting and have a long-standing meeting with a friend of mine, and it's the iron sharpens iron kind of thing, and we've been doing, we've known each other for over 30 years, and we've been doing this for probably 15 years or so, and we have breakfast together, and, and um, this past uh, Thursday morning, um, a man who had been sitting behind us 
uh, when he got up to leave, he came around to our table and he said, pardon me. He said, I wasn't trying to eavesdrop on your conversation, but I couldn't help but hear what y'all were talking about. And he said, by the way, he said, I come in here frequently and I know who both of you are. And I often try to sit near you. And I love hearing what you say. And I, I, he said, and by the way, you've never said anything that was a problem or didn't bless. And I, I went. <laughs> and it, then he said this. He said, could I sit down with y'all? And we said, sure. He said, I'm a pastor too. He said, I pastor a Pentecostal. Pentecostal congregation in Albany, Georgia. He said, I live here in Dothan, but I pastor that congregation over there. And he said, I heard y'all talking about the need for God to move. And he began to tear up a little bit and talk about uh, how he couldn't agree more and how he's praying for the move of God in his own congregation and, and, uh, and just telling us about uh, what his hopes and his heart uh, felt for that and some things that that uh, God was doing in his congregation and so we shared I don't know I don't know 15-20 minutes there and <clears throat> but my friend and I were talking about it kind of as an afterthought it kind of took us by surprise a little bit and said but you know here's the thing that we see coming out more and more people a hunger or a desire for God to move a hunger or a desire for God to move. I told you, you know, that I believe, and I'm in good company with a number of other uh, Christian pastors around the country, I believe before the return of Christ or the end of the age, we're going to see a great move of God. I, I sure hope so. We need something, Amen. We need a move of God. And I want to tell you something. <clears throat> it's not about elections or leaders. The Bible says judgment begins with the house of God. For a move of God to happen, it has to happen in your life and my life. And if it does, I think we'll see the fire of God do things in our lives, in our communities, in our state, in our nation, in our church that could not be manufactured. So I ask you this morning, if God is doing a new thing, is God doing a new thing in you? By the way, you may think, well, Pastor, you put this message together because of stuff that's going on out there. Actually, this message was outlined back in the fall. How timely. God's got a good, a good sense of timing, doesn't he? So I want to invite you this morning. If you've never trusted Christ to begin there, if all you've had is religion, it's time for God to put you on a new path. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any person is in Christ, they are a new person. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. If, if all you've had is religion, you need to change that to a relationship. Notice I didn't say you need to change that to being a Baptist. If you'll, if you'll go to a local Hardee's and you will give them $2 and tell them you're a Baptist, they'll give you a free cup of coffee. <laughs> it's not about that. Nobody walks into the kingdom of God saying, I'm a Baptist. In fact, don't do that. That might get you a ticket someplace else. 
you walk in and you say, I belong to King Jesus. Jesus died for me. I gave my life to him. If you've never done that, it's not about being religious. It's about being related. Heirs, Paul said. And you can trust him. If you're watching today, there'll be instructions on your screen. In fact, let's just do this. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you've never trusted Christ or, or all you've had is religion or you've never been sure about, about whether you really are saved. You know, so many Christians battle that. I want to help you take care of all of that today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you say, Pastor, I think all I've had is religion. And I, I know and I realize that religion is not going to get me into heaven. It doesn't make me right. And it's the wrong path. It is the path to hell. So I want to have a relationship with Jesus. You call on him right now. You say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I recognize how much you love me. Thank you for loving me. Loving me? I'm so unlovely. And I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. So I wouldn't have to. And I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. You may be watching, listening in this room, and today you would say, you know what, I think I did that, but I have struggled so much with doubt. I've struggled so much all the time. I doubt, I doubt. I'm tired of doubting. What can I do about that? You call out to Jesus like this from your heart. You say, Lord Jesus. I don't know whether I ever trusted you or not. I think I did, but I'm not sure. But I know this. I don't want to doubt it any longer. And the devil keeps hounding me with doubt. I don't want to doubt any longer. And so today, I want to get it right. I want to invite you to come in. If you never did before, today, I invite you to come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and be my Savior. You might be here this morning, you say, you know what, There's, there are things that are keeping me from walking the path. Some sin I'm tolerating. Maybe some emotion that I've allowed to, to control me. And today, what I want to do, Lord, is I want to tell you, I don't want to carry that burden any longer. I give it to you, and I release my life to you. I surrender all to you. Father, take the bitterness. Father, take anger. Father, show me who I need to forgive. Father, I want to yield myself. God, show me any areas that I'm withholding from you. Lord, my family's in trouble. I need help. Father, Lord, I've been controlled by material things instead of the master. Lord, you know. You just tell him. And Lord, I lay it all down. I give it up. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit. some area you need to obey him in today you make sure you do that just a moment we're going to stand and I'll be at the front and others will be here this altar will be open and I want to invite you to do courageous things courageous things means some of you may need to come and say that doubt thing I've been doubting I dealt with it today you say, Pastor, why do you call us to do public things? Well, I'm not trying to manipulate you or force you into anything, but Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. And I want to invite you to slip out from your seat. I want, I want to invite you to fill this altar up. I want to, look, cry out to God. You say, I, everything's good. I, I, I get it. We still need you to cry out to God.
Come. He is in this place. So what is he saying to you? Lord Jesus, you speak now in these moments, this invitation time. I pray that you will move in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? You move to the altar. If God has prompted you or lead you to do that, you come on right now. You don't have to wait on me. You, you come on. You do what you feel compelled by God to do. If there's a decision for you to make, like maybe you say, we need to join this church. I need this church to be uh, the church I belong to.